0: Preacher this morning, James Freeland, Reverend James. Um, James actually uh, was at Trinity as well. Um, So you know most of the preachers in this church went to Trinity. Um, And Chris Kaufman did as well. Um, And so did Sarah. And so did James. And Christina. And so did James. So we're a kind of Trinity church. Um, And James now still lives in the Pittsburgh area, Moon Township near Ambridge. And uh, he and his family have come all the way down. They, um, they came to bless us by helping us with a new kitchen, because James was formerly a contractor. Uh, they also came to bless his church with uh, the Family Maker event yesterday, which I'll say more about in the announcements, and uh, today to bring in the word. So James has had a busy week, and uh, I'm going to pray for him as he preaches for, for us this morning. Father, please anoint your servant James with power to speak with deep conviction. From the faith that you've given him and pray father that he would strengthen us with rich food from your word we ask it in jesus name amen, amen.
1: so i have to make an observation <coughs> oh i'm on already wow that was quick i have to make an observation um, i noticed with some of the kids one of them had a car key and so you might want to pay close attention <laughs> <coughs> if you hear any strange sounds outside um, Let me ask ask you all a question, or a couple questions to start off, and then we'll say a little, I'll say another little prayer because it's kind of my habit to do that. Um, How do you, how do you wait? How do you prepare? How do you wait? How do you prepare? Those are questions to kind of keep tucked away in the back of your head. And with that, let me say, Lord, pray that the meditations of our hearts and words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight and fruitful for building up us gathered here this day. You love us, Lord, and uh, love us in this time. Amen. 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 Uh, My boys love lots of things, Um, and two of the things that my children love, and especially my boys, I have three boys and one girl, and uh, they love sleepovers with Nana and Papa. And they love it when G Ma and Grandpa Jeff come to visit. Uh, Nana and Papa live next door. That's my wife, my lovely wife's parents. And uh, G Ma and Grandpa Jeff are my dad's stepmom. And they live in New York. So they don't come to visit all that often. But they get ready for sleepovers. And so when a sleepover is about to happen, all of a sudden a pillowcase with stuffies and toothbrushes and Kindles and all sorts of accoutrements will show up by the door in advance to the sleepover. In anticipation, waiting, ready to go. They are preparing for their sleepover. When Jima and Grandpa Jeff show up, it's often with presents. Of course, they're grandparents from afar, so when they show up, they often show up with presents, which makes their coming all that more exciting. Um, they'd be excited without the presents, but I, I have to get that out there in all honesty and truthfulness. They do love the presents. So when they're coming, they'll ask, Well, when are Grandpa Jeff and G getting here? And we're like, They'll be here in a couple hours. Well, when are, when are they gonna get here? Sooner and sooner and sooner. They're anticipating, they're asking, they wanna know, when are they gonna be here? How soon, till Grandpa Jeff and Jima show up? And then when it's closed, they said they should be here around one. There we are, we have a couch that sits in front of the window that looks out, and there they are. <laughs> Staring, waiting. Well, like, it may still be a few more minutes, but I just wanna pull back from the window a little bit. So they're excited. They love Grandpa Jeff and G.M.A. They love Nana and Papa. And preparing to spend time with them, preparing to have time with them, is an important part of the process and is an important part of their love for them and sharing and experiencing and being with them in that love. It's important. Preparing and anticipation. In the start of our gospel lesson um, today, we find it... Um, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, you need to be prepared for action. You need to be prepared for the coming of the master, for the arrival of the master. You need to be like those who are prepared, who are waiting with anticipation, with expectation, with your lamps ready, um, he says. So you've got to have oil. If you're going to have a lamp, lamps, unlike wall lights these days, which we turn on and if they don't work, they're big issues. But generally, you know, we can turn the light on anytime we need to. But in Jesus' day, there's no electricity. There's no wall switch to throw. And so you had an oil lamp. And like a candle, that oil lamp will eventually run out. And so for it to keep going, you have to have oil. And to pour that oil in and refill the lamp. It's a pretty simple thing, but if you forget the oil, your light's going to run out. And part of your preparation, part of your waiting and expectation is having sufficient oil to refill your land. So that's, that, there's a little piece to that of, of the anticipation the expectation is preparation involves more than just the, the anticipation, more than just being there at the ready, but it also involves some other things going on. Like we heard in the Old Testament lesson, They knew a famine was coming in the Old Testament story. Everybody's familiar with the story of Joseph and the famine, the seven years of plenty, seven years of bad. Anyway, they knew that famine was coming. And so part of the preparation for that time was to put aside extra grain that it would be there when the famine came. We do this all the time. When you go shopping for toilet paper, how many rolls do you buy? (laughs) When do you buy it? Before you need it (laughs) When I was in Mexico I stayed with there was a family that would feed us and we would show up And it was this kind of dance that we'd have and we'd be there and um, We'd say Monica would ask us. Well, what do you want for breakfast? And we'd be like, well, what do you have? She's like, well, what do you want? Like all right. Do you have the stuff for? huevos a la Mexicana, so Mexican scrambled eggs and she's like, sure, I'll be right back. And off to the store she would go. <laughs> and she'd come back and, and make breakfast. So it was a little dance. So generally, we like to get things in advance of when we need to have them. And being prepared often means having things in advance of when we need to have them. Being ready to act at the time that the action is required. Now, it's interesting, though, in this, there's a little twist to that in the story here, because it says they're waiting for their master to return from a wedding feast, and they don't know when he's going to come back from this wedding feast. Now, it's probably going to be soon, so wedding feast could go up to like a week. So there's two cases. He's either, it's either a wedding that's local, in which case he'll probably show up every night, or it's a wedding that's... A distance, and he'll show up sometime after the week. So they don't quite know when he's going to show up, but they have a, a good expectation. They have a good sense. Just like my kids know that Grandpa Jeff and Jima are showing up on Wednesday, and they don't quite know when, but they know he's going to be there. And they normally don't show up the second or third watch of the night that's normally mm-hmm. earlier in the day when they show up. But, you know, he's going to this wedding, he's going to show up sometime at night. Now, one of the jobs that... Somebody in this household has is to open the door. It reminds me, there's a psalm. You know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than live in the tents of the wicked. But it's it's a job to open the door. Somebody who's responsible. It's a large enough house, you know that um, you know when somebody knocks, somebody in the back of the house may not know that there was a knock. So there's somebody who's stationed by the door who opens it and kind of vets people as they come in too. You know, you don't just want to let everybody in the house you may, but you know they're, they're kinda checking things out and they've got their master's best interest and this day they're waiting for him to show up so they can open the door right away. Now a lot of times if I'm waiting for somebody to show up you know in the second and third watch, so somewhere between say midnight and 6 a.m. I'm probably waiting while I'm sleeping. <laughs> I don't know about you I don't tend to stay up all night waiting. Um, now, as parents, Some of us are parents, and some of us will be parents, and some of us will probably have kids where we'll wait up at some point in time all night for them to come back. But it's not with the same sense of excitement and devotion that <laughs> we're seeing here from these servants. So they don't, their job is to open the door, and, but they're waiting in a way that they can open the door right when he shows up. So it's not like he's going to have to knock and wake them up, and they're going to come and you know, shuffle their way over and open the door and let them in. They're sitting there, they're staying awake for the purpose of being able to open the door right when it gets there, not making the master wait to get into his house. They want to be ready. And that is a sense of devotion. That's a, a word that, when I hear that and I look at that, you wait like that out of devotion, out of love. Just like my kids wait at the door for Nana and Papap and Jima and Grandpa Jeff, these servants are waiting with anticipation, with love, with devotion. They want to be able to open the door right away. They don't want them to have to wait. They want to do it right away. And Jesus says something really surprising in response to their devotion. He says, Um, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. What? What? What's going on there? Why would the master all of a sudden turn around and serve his servants? I mean, that's why he has them. He got them to serve him. Not the other way around. So why is he serving them? Just because they stayed awake to open the door? Their devotion is calling out to him to respond in kind. But their devotion comes from his response. Why are they so devoted? Because he loves them. Why else would he dress himself for service? And sit them down at table and serve them. He does it because he loves them. Who has kids? Who enjoys serving dinner to your kids? Sometimes. Depends what the Who loves their kids in serving them dinner? Wait, were those all the same hands? <laughs> but what well, the point is, we will often serve the ones that we love. We don't find it a hardship to serve the ones that we love. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, John writes that Jesus loved his disciples. And he showed them his love in this. He got up from the table He took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash their feet. And it's from that passage, from that point, that act of service begins Jesus expressing and showing his love to the disciples. He shows how much he loves them by taking on the role of the lowest servant and washing their feet. And that passage begins there and it goes all the way really through the cross. To Jesus' death on the cross. It doesn't end with the washing of the feet. It goes all the way to Jesus dying on the cross. The expression of his love. The expression of his service to his disciples. And so you can see the devotion comes not just because they think he's so just out of nothing. The devotion is a response to the master's love for them. And that's why they're excited. That's why they're anticipating. That's why they're preparing for his return, to be able to be there and open that door. It's an act of devotion and an act of love. Paul writes that we know that God loves us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown his love for us, and we are, the call is for us to be devoted in return. Okay, so Jesus goes on. This is kind of a a shocking thing. The master is serving the servants. It's a sense of, you know, with the kingdom of God, you'll hear people talk about it. It seems upside down to the world. And we see that going on here. But then he goes, if he comes in the second watch and the third and finds in the wake, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, He would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. That's one of those, sometimes scripture is just plainly obvious. We're like, well, duh. If I knew they were going to steal that then, I wouldn't have left. Right? It seems very obvious. Why would you leave your house unguarded if you knew somebody was going to come and break into it? problem is you don't know when somebody's going to come and break into it, right? So, when you left your house this morning, who locked the door? All right. Why? Are you expecting somebody to come by and sneak into your house and, and take something out? Well, no, probably not, right? But just in case, you know, you're going to lock the door. Part of being prepared is being prepared. I met, I worked with a, um, when I was, I was in, when I was in Mexico, the, the head of the group that we were with had come down and he was sharing a story. They shared an interesting story about his dad, and it kind of relates to building things. He was with his dad building something in their shop, and uh, the, as a boy, he wanted to get in and show his mom right away what they had made, and that's understandable, but his dad made him stop, made him sweep up, and made him... They, they cleaned and they checked the tools and, and sharpened saws, and he's just, he just wants to get in. He's like, why are we doing this now? Because we finished the project, let's go show it off. And his dad says the time to sharpen a tool is before you need it. The time to prepare a life is before the crisis, before the action is required. And so being prepared is not just you know a one-time thing. Being prepared is an ongoing activity. It's not something that we just set aside. We don't read a passage once and then say, Well, I've read that passage in the Bible. I don't ever have to read it again. Um, I don't don't have to. I prayed when I became a Christian, and so I'm done with that. Check. I sang that song. I don't need to sing it again. Um, I've loved you once. Don't you remember that? <laughs> Wasn't that good enough? Right? Being prepared is an ongoing activity. Part of our love, part of our devotion, part of our prepar- right. Be- prepper, prepper- <laughs> anyway, part of our being constantly prepared <laughs> is staying prepared. It's having the oil, it's the filling of the lamp on an ongoing basis. So how do you, how do you, when you wait, how do you renew yourself? How do you refill that lamp? What do you do to feed yourself, to keep yourself prepared, to keep yourself in love with the one who has shown his love to you? Marriages are, are wonderful things. I love my marriage. And... Uh, We've been, we're, Megan and I, have uh, just celebrated 15 years, which is awesome. Who introduced you? Yes. (laughs) Sarah LaVar introduced us. (laughs) Well, sorry. So she was Sarah LaVar when she introduced us. She's now Sarah Hall. (laughs) But she is the one who introduced us. Um, And oftentimes, my wife and I will, people will will say we still act like newlyweds. Um, And I'm glad of that. You know, we continue to work on having ways and just being close and and loving and affectionate and investing in one another. And I can truly say that my wife is more beautiful today than when we got married. And I love her more today than when we got married. And so we want to, if we don't do that, then you see marriages start to separate you know if people don't invest in the relationship they don't invest in the marriage they don't invest in the love then you see it kind of kind of fade away and it's possible for people to separate we want to be like those devoted servants who are investing in our relationship with the lord who are investing in our love of god on a day-to-day basis be prepared because we don't know the day and the hour now all this is kind of confusing to the disciples. We know it's kind of confusing, because first off, it's kind of odd to hear the servant, the master serving the servant. And then Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Who's this for, Jesus? Who are you talking to? Now, we don't normally see throughout the Gospels the disciples asking, well, who's this parable for? So we see a couple of times when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, um, I, we didn't get it. What What were you saying? What, was that, what did that mean? And This is so, they, they don't really ask Jesus a whole lot through the gospel. We don't hear the gospel writers telling us that the disciples are asking Jesus questions about the parables. And so what they do, it's kind of a key moment in scripture to highlight something is going on there. And so Peter says, um, Jesus... Who are you telling this to? Is this to us or to all? And by all, he probably meant Israel, not the whole world. But, you know, we'll we'll extrapolate. And so, to us or to all? Now, if it's just to us, meaning just to the disciples, the disciples, this is a parable about waiting for the master to come back, right? The disciples have already kind of said, thrown their boat in with Jesus and said, you're the one who God is sending or has sent. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And if this parable is for us, what are you saying? Because we thought you were the one we were waiting for, and this is a parable about waiting, what does that mean? But if it's for everybody, then he can be kind of like, well, we're like those servants who were devoted. And we recognize we were there and we're going to get the blessing. So which side of this are we coming down on? Well, I'm sure since there's so many Trinity grads floating around here, you've heard the phrase, the already and not yet. Is that familiar? Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Ad, nauseum. <laughs> Ad nauseum. Okay. Yeah, so the already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. There's a sense where... Yes, Jesus has come, and the kingdom of God is being manifested in his very presence, but the fullness of the kingdom of God and what we're going to receive has not yet occurred. And so even though we're in, we need to remain attentive and alert and ready. And so Jesus goes on to tell another parable. He likes parables. Um. Parables kind of mean throwing alongside of life. Throwing and alongside of. Anyway, okay. So Jesus is throwing out another story right alongside of them to help them understand what's going on. And he said, Jesus and the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful." Okay. And, at the, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Okay. <laughs> Just a light beating, everyone. <laughs> not a severe beating, which is still better than being cut up into pieces. <laughs> So scripture can be pretty strong at times. Well, all right, so there's another parable. So we have, from the first parable, I want you to take away devoted. From this parable, I want you to take away faithful and wise. Those are your key words. Take those, tuck them wherever you tuck things to remember later on. Devoted, faithful, and wise. So Jesus says, lays out four types of people. He lays out the faithful and wise steward. He lays out the the one who gets cut up to pieces. And then he lays out the apathetic steward. And then the ignorant steward. Now notice that they're all stewards. They have all been given a responsibility. And we'll talk about that in a minute. They've all been given a responsibility um, that they're all being held to account. Even the one who's ignorant, the one who doesn't have a clue what they're supposed to be doing, they were still given a responsibility, and they're being held to account. And that is a warning. That is a word spoken to us that says, uh, if I don't know what I should be doing, I should probably go find out. Because I still, a light beating or not, I don't want a beating. <laughs> right? So keep, if you don't know what you should be doing, it's a good thing to go find out. Okay, so the first guy is the faithful and wise steward. Maybe we'll come to him. We'll come to him last. We'll finish with the faithful and wise steward because he's the fun one. All right. Now, there's a guy who gets cut up into pieces. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He's been given responsibility to care for, to provide for the other servants. And instead of providing for them, he begins to lord it over them, to... Um, dominate over them. If we go all the way back to Genesis, there's an interesting, interesting part of the curse. Um, the curse says um, the woman will desire her man, and he will dominate over her. And that's a perversion on what we were given in creation, which was to have dominion, to have care Dominion, which is a beneficial care over creation, turned into a seeking to have domination. From dominion, which is care, to domination, which is possessing for my own benefit. Right? So Now, it seems like the woman gets a little bit of a hard thing there, desire will be for her husband and he will have dom- domination. It's not quite desire as in like romantic, In the front of a Hallmark card, it's desire to possess. So it's really kind of a you've got desire to possess and to own, and the response is domination over it. So it's kind of, it kind of goes both ways. Um, But we see that this servant is really living into that. He is taking from what was dominion, stewardship, and he's putting it into domination. I am going to rule over these other servants and beat them and get drunk and do all sorts of things. And the response in the end, he gets cut up into pieces and tossed out with the unfaithful. Um, I don't know that we have to say a whole lot about that. Who wants that as their reward? (laughs) Nobody. um, But it happens because he stopped being prepared. You know, the master didn't show up when he expected, and so he kind of started thinking, well, maybe he's not showing up. And his devotion started to wane. Instead of continuing and feeding his devotion and um, building his devotion and his love, he let it wane, and he ended up falling out. The other two, there's one who's apathetic. He knows what he's supposed to be doing, and he just doesn't do it. The master's not here, hasn't been around for a while, and I just don't feel like doing it. And, well, he's not lording it over everybody else. He's just apathetic about the things that are important to the master. The master had given him a job, had set him as a steward, had given him responsibility, and he became apathetic about the things that were important to the master. Not the things that were important to him. He did the things that were important to him. We all do the things that are important to us. We don't have, I don't need somebody to, you know, I don't need to be devoted, I'm devoted to me, actually, already. Um, I don't need to work on practice or encourage the devotion of myself to me. I'm already pretty good at it. I've practiced it for 45, 48 years now <laughs> so I've got that down um, but it's if I don't practice the devotion to the master then it's easy to become apathetic to his concerns and that doesn't end well either but what does end well the faithful and wise manager who gives the the servants their food in their due time now, it's an interesting choice of stewardship that we see right there. Gives them their food in their due time. What did we see the master of the house do when, for his devoted servants when they opened the door? He dressed himself for service, and he sat them down at table, reclined them at table, and served them their food at that time. The stewardship that we are given is the same stewardship that we see Jesus doing himself. The master has called the servants to do the same that he himself has done. That's throughout scripture, it's nothing new. But we see that again here. We're called to the same stewardship, we're called to the love and service of others. What did Jesus do? He showed us his love in this, he served. And he was willing to serve even to the end of his life as devoted, as faithful, and wise stewards. Our stewardship is to love and to serve. That's the point of the stewardship we've been given. Now, a steward does not use his own resources. A steward is someone who has been given resources of someone else's to use for a specific task. So the the steward... Back up. So... What are the resources that we've been given to love and to serve? So whose resources, we're to use the Lord's resources. So it's the Lord's resources we're using to love and serve. So what are the Lord's resources? You've been given a stewardship. What are the resources you have? What are the resources you're expected? What are the resources you have that belong to the Lord? What do you have that belongs to the Lord? That's a question for you to answer. You know, we have all sorts of things, but what do you have that belongs to the Lord? And how can you use that as a stewardship to the Lord's love and service of others? It's interesting, George Mueller, have you heard of George Mueller? Yeah, I'm sure sure it's been brought up as a reference. He's a great, he's an interesting reference. Um, George Mueller started orphanages, um, and he had no money. And, but he also didn't ask for any money. He raised all the money that he had for the orphanages in prayer alone. He asked the Lord for the resources for that orphanage, and the Lord provided them. And there are lots of great stories about his prayers and the Lord's provision through that. Hudson Taylor. Have you heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, great, great missionary leader and, for, and, and thinker and All sorts of wonderful things. I believe the story of Hudson Taylor, he was at a missions meeting and they were calling for donations for the support of missions. He didn't have any money. Do you know what he put in the basket? Put himself. He gave himself in the basket to the Lord's servants. What do you have that belongs to the Lord? Where will your devotion, your love of the Lord, what will allow you to give to the Lord? Is your home the Lord's? Is your bank account the Lord's? Is your car the Lord's? Is your front yard the Lord's? What belongs to the Lord that you have stewardship of that you can use to serve and to love others? Now, it's a faithful and wise steward. Faithfulness is an interesting, interesting word in this context. We saw, we read, um, I chose the Joseph passage for a reason. Joseph um, is raised up as a steward of Egypt for this famine that's coming. All right, do, I'm seeing some closing eyes. I'm losing you. Stand up. <laughs> All right, sit down. <laughs> I'm going to do it to you again. All right. <laughs> Joseph was raised as a steward. And he went around and he used Pharaoh's resources. Like, people just didn't give him the grain. It says he collected the grain. But they, they weren't, you know, no. someone's going to walk up to you and go, hey, can I have your extra grain? And what are you going to say? Yeah, it'll cost you. I'll sell it to you. All right? And so Joseph used Pharaoh's money to buy grain. And to store. And then after the famine, we didn't get to this part, after the famine, when Egypt didn't have any food, the Egyptians came back and they said, all right, we don't have any food, we don't have any bread. And Joseph said, great, you can buy the grain. And so they bought the grain. And then they said, well, we ran out of, we ran out of money and we still need grain. And he said, okay, you can sell me your fields. And they sold them their fields. And then they came back and said, we don't still have any money and we need bread. And he said, you can sell me yourselves. And Joseph bought the money, the land, and the people. Not for himself, but for Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's steward. A steward acts in the best interest of his master He's using the resources not just to spend them, but to have more resources to continue the work and the labor of his master. He's acting in his master's best interest. Faithfulness in this context is to act in the best interest of the one you're serving. And a faithful steward is to act not in our best interest, but to act in the Lord's best interest. What is his best interest? What is... What is going to give him the return? What is going to give him the desired outcome that he would look himself for? If Jesus were here, it's like that bracelet. What would Jesus do? My stewardship is about what would Jesus do? How can I serve Jesus' best interest with what I have and what I'm willing to offer to him out of my life? That's the faithful part. And the, the wise part, what is it to be wise I was mentioning this to Sarah the other day uh, in another context. The book of Proverbs, as she knows, Sarah's an excellent, as she's a, I, I give it to her for Old Testament stuff. <laughs> the book of Proverbs, my professor in seminary said, has eight different ways to say stupid. <laughs> right? it's, there are a lot of different ways to say you're being an idiot in Proverbs. <laughs> right? For a reason. Basically it says don't be an idiot. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. Right? The wise man, someone, and the wise woman, the wise steward, looks to apply godly knowledge. It's not just having knowledge, but godly knowledge applied to life, to living, how we live. We live in a world of information. Information does not make us wise. Applying that information, applying godly information to the way we live, is what it means to be wise. And that only godly wisdom only comes through the counsel of other godly people, comes through prayer, and it comes through study of Scripture. It is a biblical worldview. It's looking at the world, not as the world looks at it, but as God looks at it. It's taking and saying that um, Colossians, Colossians says, Set your hearts on Christ who's above. So that already, not yet. So where our devotion is, set our hearts on Christ above and set also our minds. For why is there a the division of heart and mind? Heart is the source of our action. When we act, we act from our hearts. And our mind gives shape to what we're going to do, how we think, what we, what we choose to do. But our heart leads our action. Set your hearts and your minds on Christ who is above. Let, the, let Christ and what he has done Shape what we do in our stewardship and how we live out that stewardship, faithful and wise. So, um, how are you going to wait? That's the question we started with. That's the question we're leaving with. How are you going to wait? And to what will you give the Lord in that devotion? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.